one. Guys, I am trying to turn every one of my co-hosts into the biggest best ball bros. I didn't have to twist your arm too much, Spags, to do a best ball draft today, though. No, the good news, Pete, is I've been losing a little bit in MLB DFS, losing a little bit in Olympic basketball DFS. So I am in a fertile space to talk about best ball and do a live draft on the show. We're also going to catch up on NFL headlines. We're going to talk about DraftKings week one salaries. Lots to get into. So let's get into it right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And I'm Chris Spaggs, joined once again by the man you see on this channel all the time. He is the cult leader of the world of best ball. He's also, I think, looks great in Uncle Sam costumes. He's Pete Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? I, I'm doing good. I don't know if I want uh, that title uh, cult leader, but I, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll take it. The best ball bros, I love them. We're having all kinds of fun these days. And I'm also, uh, if you are not following at Splash Play Pod, I am literally following people back on the handle right now on Twitter. So go follow over there. That is one way for you to get an easy follow to also see, of course, the content we are doing. Sometimes our show times move around a little bit, uh, but we are always here for you guys. So go follow at Splash Play Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And, and Pete, one thing we didn't get to last week, which I just need to put in a, a flag for, because I mentioned in the Discord, got some some razzing from our accountant, Willis, and the other guys, because I didn't bring it up on the show. But Sour Beers, this has become one of your brands. And you have so many brands it can be hard to keep up but you love sour beers and it has been long a thorn in my side the, the existence of them overall because one of my best friends loved them dated a girl who loved them to me they taste like if somebody vomited in a beer and was like here have a beer and i feel like that's the worst thing drink wise that i could possibly think of so that's my case against them it bothers me because i enjoy so much of the things you do besides that brand wise the sour beer brand though not working for me at all well before we even get into the beer i have I've done like two tweets about sours. How is this part of my brand now? Well, we did the power hour that uh, oh, yeah. months ago. You were doing the sour beers there. I feel like you've had a lot of sour beer engagement. Maybe that's just what I'm getting fed on Twitter because it knows it's going to stir me up like Twitter loves to do. But I feel like, yeah, this has been your brand, I think. But And people were also pointing out the Discord like, oh, Pete's going to be mad because he loves sour beers. Well, first of all, and I just need to know, I'm trying to gain uh, or, you know, gather a little information to know like what attack vectors to take here. Are you an IPA, bro? I do like IPAs. I mean, IPAs are, are taste infinitely more shitty than sour. Sours, it's like, I can understand if you're going to say, oh, they taste like candy or they're too sweet or whatever, but they're enjoyable to drink. IPAs, you guys are trying to be like the wine bros of beer drinking where you act like it's so sophisticated. You can barely drink an entire IPA without feeling sick to your stomach. Get out of here. So the IPAs, I think, are more about efficiency because like if you're drinking a 7.5% and 8% juicy IPAs, I've been really uh, big on the last year or so. Those are a little bit more fruity tasting, but you get the high alcohol, you get like it feels like you're tasting a beer and then, you know, the sour. It's I also full full disclosure, I don't enjoy Sour Patch Kids. I'm not like a sour treat person in general. So that is a part of the process. I'm biased. I'll admit that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I legitimately does just taste like vomits me every time, except one Captain Lawrence sour beer, I think was pretty okay. Cause it just, it was like a, a hint of sour and not that overpowering. Um, yes. Look, see, this is the thing. I actually, I don't really wade into, you know, food take Twitter because we are legitimately all unique snowflakes through varying <laughs> degrees of nature and nurture have grown to like 
some things and not other things. And I really don't give a shit what other people like, but I understand content. Uh, we need to argue about these things. So yeah, you're a fucking idiot for not liking flowers. <laughs> I honestly, it's just one of those things that I don't get it. And it's one, like I have so few things I'm with you. Usually I don't have like these, Oh, you're a fool. Other than people just don't try things. Like if you're an adult and you're only eating chicken tendies and like whatever and fries and you're not having a steak every now and then I think that's a little bit weird, but um, I would say for beers though, just sours. It's one sore point for me. You drink like the pickle sours in those two. No. And I will say uh, back to it. I don't like sours when they're overly sweet either uh have you are you into like the spike seltzers at all i enjoy those yeah i've got i'm a little bit fatigued on them but i think they're good the thing too is like those are kind of uh, like to quote breaking bad a half measure where you're not really getting drunk and you're also not really enjoying it it's just it's like drinking a water with a little bit of kick to it so i like them but they don't do everything for me yeah because i i've had some spike seltzers that i feel kind of have some overlap taste wise with sours. so that's that is kind of surprising that you do enjoy those but despise sours <laughs> i look i'm a man a, a, con, a contradictory i guess a renaissance man really when it comes to the beverages but yeah i just i needed to plant a flag here and make my case and we'll agree to disagree maybe we'll maybe that's a bit we can do where you have to drink ipas for a show i have to drink sours and we see how that lands i never like these uh these comparisons because it's like it's like saying wine uh well wine is just uh, a farmer who was lazy and left his grapes <laughs> out in the sun too long like i mean that's how this shit is made i mean what does that even mean Look, I think Henry's pretty right. I think Tigbo <laughs> loves double IPAs. That's right. Everybody else, I don't see any other chats at all. I think they're <laughs> all completely inaccurate and unfair. Uh, but let's talk NFL news because that is what we are here for. And we are going to do the best ball draft. But uh, I feel like the NFL news have to burn through some things. And the first one, I guess we have to hit on uh, preseason NFL going off. And I'll ask the question, Pete, because I actually haven't paid attention to social media that much. But actually, uh, because of certain ongoing discussions, actively avoiding tweeting, Pete, because I don't want to get myself even on the cusp of trouble or cancellation right now uh but but i didn't see if you tweeted at all last night about Steelers cowboys saw you wrote it up in the matthew berry fantasy life newsletter that people should be subscribed to but a 16-3 game i watched part of it um the projections that i saw from osmo pretty good for rico dowdy and whoever the other uh, asshole running back was for uh, the Steelers, but just an ugly game and one that uh the tournaments when i saw dfs were not the most fun yeah, I didn't get to watch any of it. Uh, I wrote that intro into the newsletter by reading a few uh, box score recaps to kind of get my bearings. Uh, yeah, I had shows last night and was uh, preoccupied. But uh, yeah, I think historically, right, that all that Hall of Fame game is always just a slog. And it's generally the defenses are always going to be the two best fantasy teams there. Uh, and that's how it was last night. I think it was Steelers in the captain slot and Dallas Cowboys in the flex for the team that took down the $50,000 showdown slate. So it is what it is. I was very close to my underdog parlay. Uh, I hit two of my three, but Dwayne Haskins was about 18 yards short. So I'm still tilting that game a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it's definitely preseason DFS is tough. I personally don't foresee. Yeah, I'm glad to see uh, sites like Osmo doing projections. I know uh, Establish the Run doing more this year as well for their content offerings. Um, there are a lot of sites out there doing projections for it. So if you want to play it, I think it is still worth a shot. I would point out for showdowns that especially these first few weeks, uh, I played a wide receiver at captain because that's usually the move for showdowns for me during the regular season. That's not going to be the way it works out for the preseason. So there's wrinkles to the game. I'm sure as people out there talk about on social media, there's a bit of an edge, but 
We're not going to cover it in much depth, but I just have to point out here. And I want to make sure that you're on the same page because I like it. I'm glad it exists. It's just, I think, a much tougher game than people realize. So that's where I'm at. Is this Josh Allen chat real? Did he just sign his extension? Uh, it looks like it. I have no reason. Andrew's a very reputable uh, young man. I, I trust his his numbers yep. here. Six minutes ago from The Athletic. Uh, we have 200. Uh, let's see. They don't, where, they don't have the full numbers here. Uh, but, but a six-year contract extension, the team announced under contract in 2028. So he must have broken the bank in a big way. Yeah. Which is good for him. Yeah. I mean, he de- he deserves it. Uh, yeah. I mean, quarterbacks are what make the NFL go around. If you don't have a franchise quarterback, you are pretty much uh, not relevant in the NFL. And I think Allen is pretty much made his case to be, I don't know, at least top three, at least top five quarterback in the NFL and probably top three over the next, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. And the running and throwing ability, certainly there in a, a way that's unique for him. And uh, hopefully we'll see more guys like him. I think uh, Drew Locke to me, I, I will say this is one hot take just throwing a, uh, as a throwaway here. Drew Locke to me grades out a lot like Josh Allen in his early year, uh, his rookie year in particular. Um, and I think there might be a chance here that Drew Locke makes a jump that's similar. And I think you're going to see guys kind of try to take that Josh Allen approach a little bit more, but uh, he is really the first one to kind of do what he did and, and have the success he's had and also just improve in accuracy in a way a lot of QBs don't. So kudos to Josh Allen. I've always been a fan as everybody knows who's followed the nfl dfs content in osmo last few years another qb aaron Rodgers allegedly promised to be traded after the season and this could be a fast one pete because i feel like the aaron Rodgers green bay thing is just like one of those couples where it's like we get it you want to break up and every time it's like oh like yeah the next time they do this i'm out of here and it's like i it wouldn't surprise me if he just signs like a five-year extension and stays there at this point because it's just more dramatics and histrionics yeah it does and nothing would surprise me next year like you said he returns to the packers he retires he gets traded or whatever like at this point i'm with you i'm so exhausted by it and i just don't care uh anymore i still would love to see rogers go to the broncos next year i think that would be very fun or just anywhere where there's a ton of fun weapons and he could kind of supercharge a team so i guess maybe that's my rooting interest is just seeing him somewhere else uh green bay is I don't know, despite them having Rodgers, Adams, and Jones, just in my mind, I associate them as a boring team. I don't know why. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it. I, you know, certainly going to be a team that's competitive this year, and maybe Tom Brady somehow doesn't come back next year, and then Rodgers has a the old man QB spot to slide into in Tampa Bay. But we'll see how it happens. I'm I'm ready to not talk about it for the rest of the year, though. <laughs> Dak Prescott seemingly not even close to playing. The Cowboys were seeing experts from the Texas Rangers about how to handle his shoulder. Was one report I saw yesterday, and. I don't know what to make of this one, Pete, because they clearly need him to be there to be anything useful. As we saw yesterday, obviously, it's a preseason game, but just doesn't not going to look as good with Garrett Gilbert out Gilbert out there or Cooper Rush or whatever other uh, flotsam QBs they want to put in the mix. But uh, Dak, you got to think he'll be OK enough, right? Or is this one of those things that you would flag as a legitimate concern when drafting now in best ball? Yeah, I was reading the reports on it this morning. It was kind of the Glazer report that I think was driving a lot of this. And it was weird that he was equating it to a baseball injury. It's like something in his armpit. And that's why they were trying to get more uh, someone from the Rangers to consult on it. So it is it is a little concerning. They've been moving the timetable on it. They said, you know, day to day and now it's week to week. But don't worry, he'll be ready for week one. You're starting to already see some pretty big discounts on DAC on underdog. I'm inclined to scoop up that discount for now. But this is one of those I think you want to keep really close tabs on and be willing to react accordingly if the news continues to be bearish. 
Another one that's uh, maybe not great for some of the people that have been prognosticating this offense as being something fantastic or fantasy this year, but Joe Burrow allegedly looking really bad at camp so far. The O-line has been a problem. And this is one, Pete, where I thought the initial reports on The Athletic, and I too, I know you recently took the jump. I also am now paying for The Athletic, which is how you could tell I'm a serious media person now. Uh, So congratulations. Pat on the back for both of us, really. Uh, But there was some article in there talking about uh, Burrow and, you know, the the defensive line is really getting to him. And I think it's not it wouldn't surprise me if maybe the Bengals are just a little better defensively than the offense is right now. So I wouldn't have huge concerns. I think the overall concern for me is that this Bengals offense has been a little overhyped. And I pushed back a little when we did the draft show, with the ship chasing guys and all the other people, uh, of course, who are so sharp on the industry and all that, because I just think it comes down to them where if this defense is good and they play at a slow pace like they did last year, I think there's not going to be as much offense to go around because you are adding another high volume guy in Jamar Chase. But I think in this spot, like I just wouldn't freak out about it. Like he's going to be tentative coming off a major knee injury way faster than he probably should have. Yeah, I wrote about this in the newsletter yesterday, too. I think it's kind of absurd. Uh, It was also absurd because it was two guys from the athletic joint penned this article. It was like, do they really need two guys for this or they just didn't want to both uh, you know, have one of them take the fall for Joe Burrow being mad at them. But yeah, he's recovering from an ACL MCL. These are his first reps at camp in a meaningful way in front of a line and, you know, seeing defenders coming, of course, he's going to be a little tentative. I mean, this is literally what training camp is for to get these guys ready for the season. And I use the example of everyone was panicking on Cortland Sutton about a week ago because uh, Vic Fangio was saying he was tentative and everyone's like, Oh no, he's not ready. And then yesterday, the blurbs were just glowing, him making incredible catches. It's like, yeah, these guys are going to come back to camp, ease their way in, and ramp up for the start of the season. So I have literally zero concerns about Joe Burrow, especially because I think he's completely fine health-wise. He's just tentative. Yeah, I think especially a QB, when you have to step into your throws, you have to worry about with a bad offensive line, just having somebody collide again with you. So I think cut him a little slack right now. To me, it's just more the concern about the offense overall and just expecting a lot of guys to have volume in a way that I think might be tough for them all to get there. Kirk Cousins. So here's the one. Uh, the likes are coming. We appreciate that bunch. Like the video, whether you're watching on the Splash Play channel or Peach channel. And I'm terrified, Pete, to get some dislikes. But Kirk Cousins, we got to talk about his vaccination decision, which he calls a very private health matter. The Vikings are at a league low 65% vax rate. And I just want to read this quote from Cousins because it just was, I don't know, perplexing to me as somebody, you know, admittedly got my vaccinations twice, happy to do a booster or whatever, just to get back to normalcy or whatever. Uh, the closest approximation to that is, he says, I do believe that as a leader of the team, it's very important to follow the protocols and to avoid this close contact because that's what it's going to come down to, Cousins said. Did you have a close contact? Somebody vigilant about avoiding a close contact. I've even thought about, should I just set up literal plexiglass around where I sit so this could never happen again? I've thought about it because I'm going to do whatever it takes. We're going to avoid this close contact thing, and I look forward to making sure I'm playing for every game this year. So he's willing to install a plexiglass bubble for himself, but he won't get a fucking needle. I I, I just, I don't get it, Pete, and I, it bothers me, and, it, and I think it's something we actually have to think about now because this does have legit fantasy ramifications. Yeah, I, I in the same way, it's just like how many times are we going to, you know, see this story pop up over and over? I think it was the other day I saw, was it Miami Dolphins tight end Adam Shaheen had in his profile, like he was, you know, outwardly celebrating the fact that he would refuse to get a vaccine. And it's so funny too, because it's one thing when they get interviewed and they say, you know, this is a private choice, you know, whatever, like it shouldn't be public. And then it's like, no, some of these guys actually want to wave this around as a badge of honor, uh, which is even more uh, disheartening. So yeah, I, I do. Honestly, though, I would be shocked 
if any of these guys actually try to play chicken and sit out and start sacrificing checks and all of this stuff, I think they're all posturing. I think they're, you know, trying to get attention. I mean, Cole Beasley literally released an anti-vax diss track. I mean, this is all an attention play and uh, I don't know. I'm not buying any of it. They'll all be there week one. Yeah, I I mean, I very much, first of all, I don't want to listen to the Cole Beasley diss track I ever. Didn't I listen think to that's, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw the temptation there, but I just, I don't need to know Cole Beasley's flow, I would say be the first thing uh, for me. But yeah, you know, look, I, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. All I would say for anybody out there who's watching this video or, you know, pro athletes who might stumble across it somehow, just, you know, don't just look at TikTok memes and stuff, read the actual articles, read about how it works. You know, the, the vaccine, especially the Pfizer and Moderna ones are giving you a blueprint to fight a thing. It's not giving you even the vaccine of the, the virus itself, rather in the vaccine. So, so uh, it's just crazy that he would give an interview going in great length about the powers of plexiglass rather than just getting a needle that's readily available. And um, let's talk real fast. Wide receiver news. Rondale Moore getting some big praise with Christian Kirk out, though I think he's been a little banged up uh, the last day or so. But Elijah Moore uh, seemingly starting outside. And one blurb I also saw in The Athletic this week, Pete, Denzel Mims down the depth chart now behind <laughs> Vincent Smith. So how you feel? I know you are an Elijah Moore guy, so that's a positive. But Denzel Mims falling out of grace in a very noteworthy way. It's crazy. I've been doing the past few days. I've actually done some longer drafts. We did a big dog draft on underdog that goes 20 rounds. And last night I did this draft sharks league on MFL that went 25 rounds. And I don't think Mims Mims wasn't drafted until the 20th in the big dog draft and wasn't drafted until the 23rd round in that other big industry draft. So it's like everyone is so out on Denzel Bims right now. Uh, my only issue is I wish I wouldn't have been uh, targeting him in the like 16th, 17th, all in, you know, May and June. And now I'd just be like, yeah, I'll take him as my late round flyer. That seems very reasonable. But now it's like, no, I can't just keep piling on Denzel Mims exposure here. I still think there's a chance that, um, you know, the coaches are deferring to the veterans during training camp. You see that a lot. Keelan Cole, way more experienced as a player. So I still think there's a chance he climbs the depth chart back to a reasonable level, but I don't see him cracking three wide receiver sets anytime soon. Yeah, it's it's also just the depth. I think is really what you're the, the point you're making there that I think is most important. Where it's just hard to see him getting the amount of snaps that he got last year, and he really wasn't great with that amount of snaps last year either. So I I think you need him to be really efficient in small doses, and it doesn't look great for him right now. But you know, if you are playing one of the tournaments like you know the puppy, and you did draft Denzel Mims in your other draft, like I wouldn't mind taking him in this tournament now because it's going to be a different outlay with him being a little more appropriately ADP'd. But uh, I guess let's get into the let's get into the best ball draft part because we did promise that we're going to do this live, and we got to make sure to get it for the end of the show. I did want to talk a little bit about D, about DK week one salaries, but maybe I could do that, Pete, while you pull up the draft. Yeah, uh, we will. Okay. I, I'm quick, though. I mean, we're we're already oh, yeah, you, you are. You are an experienced hand at this one, so we're <laughs> ready to go. You can see here. Actually, let's give the plug for underdog, of course, because uh, this is not one where I'm getting the kickback, but I want to see my pal Pete do well um, in his in his side of the underdog world. So, Pete, give them the full plug for underdog here and what they can get by using the promo code Pete. That's right. Uh, I assume most of the people watching are already on there, but you can get a uh, $25 when you sign up, got the links down below. These puppy drafts are only $5 a pop. So you deposit $10 and they'll literally give you $25, AKA five puppy entries. They're a lot of fun. These are filling like crazy. I mean, this was opened four or five days ago and it's already almost halfway full. It'll be 
probably over halfway full by the end of the weekend easily. So uh, if you want to crack at this $5 one, get in there now. They also have the Best Ball Mania with a million up top. And that one still has some spots in there. So yes, having a lot of fun. And Spags, I've drafted some teams now on DraftKings and they are soft over there. Mm-hmm. But the user experiences, I, I was talking to Pat and them, like I get excited, like the dopamine when I go to draft on underdog. And when I go to DraftKings, it just feels like the biggest chore ever to draft those teams. I mean, as uh, people may know from, you know, if you've watched a lot of my concert, or even just, just this show, like I love DraftKings. I'm about as draft as loyal to DraftKings as you can possibly get. Uh, but I think, you know, underdog just definitely appeals to me as well. The aesthetics, the, the app approaches, you know, where you get the notifications when your pick is up, you could just be browsing around on your phone. It's a better experience than underdog. So again, I'm not being paid by them. This is me just speaking completely organically, but I use promo code Pete when I signed up. And I think it's a very good place to be if you are doing the best ball drafts and, and trying to have a good time like we are. So I guess the question that I have, Pete, for you overall is, are we doing a zero RB thing? Are we going to free, are we going to free ball it here and just see how we land? Cause I, I've been doing oh. some zero RB. I've been doing some, you know, going against the grain. I'm, I'm open to everything. Well, uh, I don't know if we want to go zero RB specs cause we just got the one-on-one spot. Oh, okay. There. Oh, that's right. I can see it over here now. Okay. I need to not watch the YouTube and watch it over here. So I'm thinking we need to go CMC here. I have, I have thinking you're, uh, correct. Uh, Two things I was going to say. One, I want this to be a, a Spags-influenced draft. I do tons of drafts. I do tons of streams with other people. I want Spags to have his imprint on this. I will then just offer the other caveat. This is going to be a friends and family draft. I recognize basically all of the usernames. And yes, the wide receivers go like hotcakes in these rooms. So it's definitely something to consider, but there's no way we're passing up on McCaffrey here. Yeah, I, I very much would support that. Have you seen, because I actually, I think in the one uh, Puppy 2 draft I did the other day, I haven't gotten a, as much in there as I would like to. Um, I did see Travis Kelsey get taken 101. And I was, I, I get the logic there, but still not a move I would think is ever the right thing to do. I don't, I don't get the logic for it um, for those first couple spots because not only are you passing on guys who just project so much better than the other players, even if you want that, you know, kind of structural advantage or whatever, like y- there's going to be so many other teams that have that same pairing at a cheaper cost, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you take Kelsey at 101, okay, you're looking at, you know, the Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire guys at the turn. Well, the teams that take Kelsey at 106, they can grab those guys too in the middle of the second round. So like, I just don't understand what you're gaining by doing that, because I don't even think you're necessarily getting unique. You're just paying a premium to get a weird start. So I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's uh, mentioned though, a couple of weeks ago. I think when we talked about uh, Randall Cobb coming in, or that might've been last week, Randall Cobb coming into the Packers and like, and I love Devonte Adams, but if Devonte Adams is going to be drafted a little bit higher because of Rogers being officially back in. And I was getting him in the middle of the second rounds of some of the puppy and some of the puppy one teams I drafted. Like, I don't mind doing the puppy too. Cause that news has been out there for it. But if I were doing the best ball mania one, I would have a hard time taking Devonte Adams much higher than his ADP would have been, you know, just a few months ago, because it just, it's, it's not a great edge. And I think that's going to be true for a lot of these things as more news comes out. Yeah. It is crazy how I think if you said, if you tried to explain this to someone who hasn't played any tournaments and you said, Darrell Henderson is undraftable in this tournament, but is a pretty good pick at the late fourth, early fifth in this tournament, they'd be like, wait, I don't, how, that doesn't make any sense, but I think it's completely true. And it's kind of fun now to have these self-contained tournaments where 
we can draft Adams where he should go and we can draft Darrell Henderson because we're not chasing those super teams. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And I think definitely a little more strategy in there for the people, which, you know, I, I think can be the one thing that's tough with, with the DFS life where you are week to week, you're competing against people who know everything you know and probably some more on a weekly basis. For these drafts, people are kind of figuring out their approaches as they go. And, um, you know, there's as much as one can get in a tournament that's going to be as huge as this one with double the prize pool of the first puppy, which I think is probably great news for everybody. Yeah, yeah, fifty thousand dollars up top on this one. Although I will say, so hundred thousand on this one, right? Oh, you're right. Sorry, yeah. hundred. Yeah, fifty on the first one. Yeah, one hundred k on this one. Yeah, which is which is massive for a five dollar mm-hmm. tournament. Um, I was gonna say now that underdog enables you, you can go back and rename your drafts. So like when we're done with this one, I'll name this one Splash Play with Chris Spags. You and me will uh, split the winnings on this one. But I was going through just because I have OCD and it's also now just something I'm just doing. I'm going through all my old best ball media teams and renaming them. But I'm I have a lot of teams with Darrell Henderson and it's awesome. But I'm also looking at some of these teams and I'm like this is a bad team. And oh, this one also has Michael Thomas on it. You know, and there's all these factors where you do really see there's the benefit of drafting early and there's the cons. And I think you do really have to thread the needle to fully take advantage of a Henderson late team anyways. Yeah, I, I definitely have my fair share of Michael Thomas exposure, though. Thankfully, did have 50% of Traquan Smith. I guess he's also hurt now, too. Uh, but definitely some things here I wouldn't be shocking. I actually haven't gone through it all. I think partially for that reason, because I know there'll be some that are completely DOA. Uh, but that's the fun is you just keep drafting. Keep putting more puppies out there. Everybody just keep drafting. And then eventually you'll have one good team, I would hope. I will be really curious to see their strategy, uh, Underdog, for releasing the next batch of tournaments, because clearly you know they could make another one that's three times as big or whatever, Mm -hmm. and it would still fill before the season. They also want to fill best ball mania. They want to fill the big dog, different price points, but I'll be curious to see how they play this. If they keep going small, that fill up quickly, or if they'll do the third puppy bigger than the, uh, the first two had been. Are they not consulting you on this as an investor and also one of their most important influencers? <laughs> they they do not consult me on their roadmap. Uh, I do uh, you know get to badger them for things I would like to see uh, with the product, but I, I let them handle the contest. Okay, we are yeah. on the clock here. Uh, lots of different directions. Oh, so go. Darren Waller's hurt right now, which I don't think is that important, but we have the pick in the turn. I think we have to take Waller for one of them would be my thought. I like and, getting a tight end. Yeah, and then... I, so this is my guy. I think he rises a lot with a Ryan Fitzpatrick tide. I think Terry McLaurin is a stud wide receiver and I think I'm happy to have him. Yeah. I like, uh, I like these picks. I, uh, I know like if I have one draft and I was on the clock, I probably take Kittle over Waller, but I think you're splitting hairs. I think they're both good picks. And then I, yeah, I generally have been taking Keenan there on this board, sometimes in a non-wide receiver heavy room, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, even sometimes D.K. Metcalf is there, not in this room. Um, But I think McLaurin and Keenan are pretty close there, and, and I like McLaurin a lot. I think McLaurin, the age thing, just being a little bit younger, or actually a good amount younger is important to me. And, and I think too, Herbert's uh, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is too, but I think Herbert's a little more target agnostic when he has the weapons out there. And uh, I know you had in the Matthew Berry newsletter this morning, that Josh Palmer has been looking good. Tyron Smith's been looking good. Like they've have some guys who are capable of, you know, being just taking enough away from uh, Keenan Allen that it worries me. Whereas McLaurin, I know there's a big depth chart in Washington as well, but McLaurin's like the beast there. Like he's a guy that I think should just be getting five deep targets a game from Ryan Fitzpatrick and just let them let the chips fall where they may with that. Um, so I think to me, he's one of the highest upside wide receivers. And um, you know, I 
what, there would have been a case here to take two of them, but like Waller getting some more red zone targets this year. And I guess the question would be for you, are you buying into the Henry Ruggs hype? Because he has been getting some here. And if he's good, that does sort of hurt Waller. Yeah, but I think even if Ruggs is good, it's still going to be in a more limited target, highly efficient, deep shot kind of way where I don't, I mean, Ruggs just not the kind of player that's going to command eight to 10 targets. I think Waller's kind of pole position as the target hog on that offense is unimpeachable. I don't really know who could emerge and really eat into that in a big way. I, I think it's going to be kind of them figuring out is rugs good good enough to earn those deep targets over john brown i think is more kind of where the question is so one thing that because i see this guy going to the second round here jonathan taylor it did jump out to me because to tie it back to the dk week one salaries he's 8k on DraftKings, and i think jonathan taylor is one guy i've avoided maybe more than i should have so far in best ball drafts I think the Marlon Mack return is more important than people realize. And I think if you shave away even 10% of the production for Taylor, you still have Naheem Hines in there taking the pass game work. I don't think it's a great spot for Taylor at the price point on DK or going even in the second round here. Um, how are you feeling about Taylor? Because I, to me, he's just one of those dudes that I think is getting a little too much hype for a role that could be worse, A, because of the QB not being in there and them not being able to run out the clock, and then B, just him not getting quite as much work as he did last year down the stretch. Yeah, he's an interesting one. You know, you're now getting a discount on him because of the Carson Wentz injury and the uh, the Quentin Taylor, I think, their guard who is out as well. But now we're getting uh, bullish news about Carson Wentz returning sooner rather than later. So maybe it stabilizes. But I've been seeing a ton of screenshots of people getting Jonathan Taylor really late in the second round. I think I even saw a Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor team. So I definitely... Don't mind him there. And uh, I'll scoop the discount. I would say where he was going earlier, like I have some teams where I was taking him 108, 109. Definitely don't feel as good about that. I mean, what you get excited about is just he is an incredibly good prospect. He finished the season really good uh, last year. These second-year running backs with his kind of profile often take the leap. I do think there are some concerns there, like you said. Um, Naheem Hines isn't going away in the passing game, but the Colts also have a super friendly uh, playoff schedule. They have one of the nicest playoff schedules. So I think you can tell yourself narratives where Jonathan Taylor is a playoff hammer, uh, but I want a discount right now. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. Uh, I, you know, to me, I just think that people have sort of put him in a little bit higher tier than I would want to. Um, so that's definitely been something that I'm not the craziest about. Also, how do you feel about Willis putting a, a zero RB lineup here right in our faces on the show? Not even, I haven't talked about it in the chat. And actually, flaming, it seems like the draft for saying, haven't seen a draft start six straight RBs in a long time. I know. Yeah, they're really making us pay here. So we are on the clock. Uh, per usual, the uh, running backs are drying up pretty good, but we have a couple decent options here. What are you liking on this board? I think I think we have to take splash play Bob for one of these, um, even though it's a little bit of an overreach, I guess. Um, I like it for the brand. And I think I don't want to go QB. Yeah, man, is it? Because we could really solidify QB. Uh, go give me wide receiver again one more time. Yeah, um, we're not going to be able to stack them up. Uh, we yeah, go... I feel like let's say Kyler. Let's say Kyler. Go Kyler. Yeah, okay. it's not usually my type here. I usually do like going down a little bit deeper for, um, you know, for one of the flyer QBs or, you know, I, it's just not the move for me normally, but I want to draft a little bit out of type here because a, it's on your account and B, <laughs> I just feel like it's the best pick. Like I don't have the same faith in Beyonce Johnson that I have in Kyler. 
So yeah, my, I've kind of been rethinking. So basically my, how I've been handling the elite quarterbacks is if I have a stack and I'm getting them at ADP or a slight discount, I will, I will grab them. So if I had say Deandre Hopkins in this build, I would have no problem grabbing Kyler. When I don't have the stack, I'm generally trying to get a little bit more of a discount because sometimes these guys, Josh Allen, Kyler, Lamar will slide eight to nine picks past ADP. And then I get excited because I'm like, you can backdoor stack Kyler pretty easily. You can add Chase Edmonds there. And then there's Rondell Moore, Kirk, AJ Green, all available late. So I think that is probably a leak for people with Kyler sometimes is they only draft him when they have nuke up top. And I don't mind grabbing Kyler and then filling out the stack after the fact. So maybe just a little bit pricey here on the wrap, but I think we can definitely make it work. And he's, he's got a monster ceiling. Yeah. I, and I honestly don't mind just running a naked Kyler out there, honestly, just because we know he's going to have the rushing upside and you know, barring some material change to the offense. And if anything, he should get a little more passing work as well. Um, you know, I think that Kyler's in a good spot and I, I agree. Like I like the idea too, of maybe taking a chase Edmonds and, um, Rondale Moore, I think it's worth pointing out. This is actually one observation I had for the DK salaries. I don't know if you've dug in that deeply yet, or if you think it's even worth it, I think might be another question, but more three K flat AJ green, 3,800. And given that green has apparently been looking resurgent, uh, chase Edmonds also 4,600 for week one on DK salaries. That game is a 51.5 over under, I think Arizona overall, maybe on the year, but especially for week one, just already looks really undervalued to me going against Tennessee. Yeah. I, I haven't done a full sweep through the salaries, but just hearing you rattle those off, it seems like Arizona could very quickly become the chalk. Uh, cause those guys seem very mispriced. Yeah. Tennessee's defense, people maybe not, maybe not aware, I guess quite as much, but, um, you know, they were really not good defensively last year and they made for a lot of shootouts with teams that probably shouldn't have had shootouts. Um, so the spot for week one, that high of a total, I think feels good. And like, it sucks because totals were so important for fantasy. If you're not familiar, I guess, hopefully most of you guys are at this point, but if for some reason you're a casual person who's trying to get deeper into the game, the Vegas holds the most important part. And one Vegas hold that jumped out to me as well, which um, I would love the week one salaries for DK if this total were higher, but Caroline and the jets only a 43 point over under like that game to me feels like one that has some shootout components. We know from the camp reports that Zach Wilson's been airing it out as much as he did in college. And, and Darnold, I think can be saved by, by Joe Brady and the Carolina offense as well. Like, I don't know if, again, I know you're not doing that deep dive yet, Pete, but like a 43 over under for those two teams, I just find kind of surprising. Yeah, I think both of those defenses could be pretty bad, and both of those offenses could be, uh, especially the Jets, way, way better than they were last year. Uh, yeah, that's always the fun thing about DFS is trying to identify the sneaky shootout game, and I could definitely see that one uh, having those uh, characteristics there. Um, yeah. So one thing, too, Nick talking about both the elite and uh, QB and tight end, um, and, and I, I actually like getting both, um, if, if you can pull it off, the only thing is, is this specific room is going to make us pay, uh, for doing it, taking those two detours because our wide receivers are drying up here. So let's take a look at the board and see, you can see just based on like default rankings yeah. and stuff. I mean, all we see is running backs all at the top of the board, but I think we might need to still find a way to get a couple of wide receivers here. Otherwise the room is going to punish us. 
I mean, I think my guy who I've tweeted about, I know uh, our mutual our mutual friend. I'm gonna. I've only talked to him once on Twitter. Jack Settleman, also a big fan of Brandon Cooks. I think, barring uh, somebody who's watching this stream and gonna pick him in front of us out of spite, uh, which even if they're not doing that, that's what I'm gonna pretend is gonna be the case. If somebody takes Brandon Cooks, um, I think he's the guy to go to here. And then I don't. I think it's a little overvalue for Curtis Samuel, honestly. But I think we have a shot, an easy shot at completing the Washington stack. So I don't mind taking Curtis Samuel here too. Yeah. Um, I like that. Let's, um, let's for sure. Yeah. The only other guy that I would generally, uh, consider here is fuller, but I like Curtis Samuel for the stack for sure. Uh, and Fitzpatrick's just a good quarterback to pair with Kyler because you're going to be able to get him, uh, cheaper theoretically, Mm -hmm. unless say the Logan Thomas or a sniper in here just wants to get him. And, uh, yeah, definitely cool with Brandon cooks as well. And that is a brand guy for you. Uh, so yes. let's, let's get the spags imprint on this. Yeah. Team. I have to say my Miami situation uh, and I write a Warren sharp piece this week, I think for NBC sports edge, um, great, great site. I think lots of good stuff going on over there, which I think Pete and I both can very much support. Um, but he had mentioned that Miami, just his belief that they're going to be better this year. That two is not the guy we saw last year. And that has been one thing that I, I admit is a full blind spot for me. I do not believe in Miami's offense. I think that too is not the guy since the hip injury. And I think that there's a real concern for me, but I am not taking any Will Fuller. I'm not taking any Waddle. I'm not taking any of the other guys, the Devonte Parker, I think probably a good case to not take him, but is this a blind spot that is going to bite me in the ass Pete? Cause I have a, a risk that I, or a fear that it is a risk. That's probably bigger than I'm realizing. I just think that defense is going to be good. And this is a team that's going to do the best to sort of not be explosive and kind of keep things close to the vest. So my thing with Tua right now is he's so cheap and all of the camp reports right now are that he looks so much better, that he's fully recovered. He has all those weapons now and he feels like a small miss or big hit kind of pick right now. I just don't really think he's going to hurt you going where he is right now in the round 14, round 15. So I definitely mix him in. I, I, I agree with you that there's still uncertainty and the jury is out on him. But when you factor in him being fully healthy, you factor in the new weapons they brought in. I don't know. I'm I'm excited uh, about Tua, and I do think he could be a guy that is a perfect QB two in builds too, where you take the elite quarterback, you take the Allen or whatever, you pair him with Tua, you get two to three really nice spike weeks from Tua in your lineup when your stud QB isn't filling that spot. So yeah, I'm I'm in on Tua at his price. Yeah, my fear is that that one game against Arizona, where it was him and Kyler kind of shooting it out, the like we're probably the best game I think too. had fantasy wise and probably real life wise as well last season. That was a spot that I, I saw the ceiling there. And it's like, God, it's terrifying if that is the dude who he ends up being every week. I just I just don't have the confidence that that's going to be the case. And I think that defense is going to be improved and and continue to make strides in the Brian Flores and what he's bringing to the table there. So that's that's my case for it. One guy that we didn't even have a shot at, which I just need to give my shout out to. And I think we've talked about him before and you're not quite as bullish. I fucking love Mike Davis. I think he is such a steal in whatever round you get him. And he is the one guy that I have broken my zero RB draft for so many times because I just think that Atlanta offense is going to be good. I think the defense isn't going to be that good. And I think there's a real chance that they do use him like Derrick Henry was used. Not to the same extent, obviously, but it is Arthur Smith coming over from an offense that heavily featured the running back and the play action being a core part built off of that. Um, so that's my Mike Davis case, Pete. And again, I think you've advocated against him before. So if you just want to repeat that take, you can. Uh, yeah, I, I don't draft him a lot for a couple reasons. It's, it's mainly 
a structural thing. You know, I, I could see Mike Davis having a good season. That that wouldn't surprise me. But the main things are I'm trying to win these tournaments. I'm trying to think who can be a hammer play weeks 14 through 17 or 15 through 17. I'm trying to think through like Ben Gretsch and Sean Siegel did uh, which guys are going to be drafted in the top three rounds next year. I cannot imagine a world where Mike Davis is going to be a top, you know, three or four round pick next year. And for him to help you win one of these tournaments, he's probably going to have to be that. And so I just think someone else is going to emerge or he's going to break down. Um, he really came out of nowhere last year. He wasn't getting drafted anywhere last year. That's what the market thought of him. He ran really hot. I I'm worried about his ability to be a full blown bell cow for the whole season. And just structurally, I love the wide receivers in that range. You're having to pass on Odell's and Chase Claypool's. And I prefer kind of the next little tier after that with the rookies. I like ETN. I like Javante Williams. Those are the guys that I think can finish the season really strong. So I don't have a lot of Mike Davis. I don't see myself having a lot of them, but I wish you all the best of luck. Yeah, Mike Davis, I just feel like the per play numbers have always been there. And Nick in the chat saying his 25% Quadri Allison exposure laughs at my Mike Davis love. I think that's a reasonable take to have. I just, I know I've seen Quadri Allison play and I have not seen anything numbers wise that does jump out. Whereas Mike Davis and all of his stops has been a guy that, you know, you want to see get more touches and see what he could do. Then he gets the board touches and looks great with it. And I think in this spot where Todd Gurley last year was still getting those red zone touches that um, there are still some PPR checkdowns to be had with Matt Ryan. And I think Mike Davis is one of the guys that can be there. And it's worth pointing out, he is only 28 years old and he turned 28 in February. So like he feels like he's older than he is. And maybe that could be a part of maybe not your bias, Pete, but some people's biases out there. But I think he's a guy that can be viable, not necessarily because of his own talent, but just because Ridley's going to be so good. Pitts is going to be so good. Gage is going to be usable. All these guys are going to get these, get them in a range here where it just takes a Mike Davis running it in. And even if he's not that good. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, pick, put this on the shelf. So we are on the clock again, right now, wide receivers continue to fly off the shelves though. A couple. Okay. Options here. Um, what are you thinking on this board? So we're, we're not far off from Logan Tom. Can we give me, give, uh, give me the full board just so I could see. Um, yeah, I think, I think we have to take Logan Thomas for one of them just because we're going to get this Washington stack. And I do believe in it. I, that defense is going to be good, but, um, Man, I the wide can we go to the wide receivers just to yeah. see them? Um Corey Davis is a decent pivot to I think the the more love that's coming out. So I would go Corey Davis here. Yeah, I don't mind Corey Davis. Um yeah, and again, I also don't mind Logan Thomas. The only thing is when I take the early tight end in Waller kind of what you're getting is the flexibility to not draft a second tight end until sure. really late in the draft. And because we're only, we're done taking tight ends now with Waller and Thomas. And so mm -hmm. sometimes what will happen in a room like this is we'll be staring at some really good tight end values in like the 13th, 14th, 15th round. Like you might see a Mike Gusecki or somebody drop a couple rounds past ADP. And you're like, Oh man, that would be the perfect spot to pair up this discounted tight end with Waller. So that's the only thing I don't like about the pick, but I do uh, like going after the super stack with Fitzpatrick because I think that's fun.
Yeah, I think to me, you know, the one where I really do have for this Washington offense is just that defense is so good that they don't have to throw quite as much. And that is uh, something that could benefit the running back situation uh, for Washington as well. But I believe in that offense having the production. I think a lot of it's going to go through McLaurin. But the weeks where McLaurin doesn't go off, I think we're now covered a little bit better. Um I guess the question would be to complete the stack. I know you've been big on Diami Brown in the past, but a lot of the winds blowing towards Adam Humphreys getting more targets out of the slot and all of that. Do we need to get Humphreys to complete the stack? Do you think, or, or, or Diami, or just, do we just kind of ignore that wide receiver three? So I would say once we have triple stacked with McLaurin, Samuel and Thomas, I'm probably stopping there. I think you can super stack some of those offenses like the Cardinals, the Cowboys. Um, I think that, makes sense. I don't know if Washington, you mentioned their defense. I, I don't know if they are going to be able to support a super stack. And if you're in a self-contained league, a 12 man league, I think the super stacks make a lot more sense, but we are going to have to be hitting massive ceiling outcomes from our team in week 17 to win these week, weeks, 15 and 16 too. And so we're really having to ask ourselves if we put this much capital into Washington, we basically need them to score 45 points three straight weeks in a row to carry our team. So I would, I would probably push us in another direction and we've already made our big bet on Washington. Yep. Okay. That's a, that's a, I think a very reasonable way to look at it. Um, yeah, I think, I think if one of them falls there and there's just nobody else we love, I wouldn't mind taking one more guy just because I do think Fitzpatrick has the capability and we've seen it of him to be able to sustain multiple guys and to give multiple guys that boost and to be that, that winning stack of a week. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I think it might be really more contingent on the NFC East being better at scoring. Like if Galladay's hurt, the Giants defense is better. They play sluggish. If Philadelphia doesn't trade for Deshaun Watson and then Jalen Hurts isn't quite as good. If Dak Prescott's bagged up, like that division then becomes a lot uglier and is basically back where we were last year. But if the shootout does be, uh, the division does become a little more of a shootout with the NFC East. I think that's where Washington has the biggest upside where if Fitzpatrick has to compete every week, like I think you're going to see these guys have massive days. One other thing I would put on our radar here, uh, radar here, because we are going so heavily after Washington, is they play Philadelphia twice in the playoffs, week 15 and week 17. So again, going back to that idea of us investing a lot in Washington, if they hit their ceilings in week 15 and 17, it probably means the Eagles are also scoring a lot of points in those games. Mm -hmm. So if we find ourselves in a tiebreaker decision uh, or want to try to prioritize some Eagles, I think that would make sense for us. So one guy that I'm seeing here on the, the big board that I took a lot in the puppy one, which I'm getting a little worried about, honestly, with some of the trade rumors going around Deshaun Watson. I think that Jalen hurts. Like I still like him, but there's getting to me a narrower series of outcomes where if he goes to Houston, like, is he going to pick up a Houston offense fast enough to get into the mix as part of that trade? If he stays in Philadelphia, is he going to be affected by the Watson stuff kind of hanging over him? I'm, I'm a little bit worried about my Hertz exposure. And, and I feel like with him just being on the board here, like I get why he's the one QB here popping out of it's the, a sea of running backs. Yeah. Um, hang on. Sorry. Uh, which, sorry, which running back? Oh, just no Jalen Hurts talking about him and how like oh. I get why he's the one QB left standing here because I think there's a lot more concern with him with just the Watson stuff hanging over his head. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, the there's been like conflicting reports. There's the one that there were trade rumors were heating up and then there was the other guy who came out and said there's no discussions being had and that the Texans aren't accepting any calls right now. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm more inclined to buy the dip on Jalen Hurts, not mm -hmm. not in this lineup because we're gonna, we have a couple options. So we are back 
here on the clock. Let me check out the wide receivers. Um, I, I honestly don't think Michael Thomas is horrible at this mm-hmm. price. Um, and then I think we could grab our second running back. I think Zach Moss, Tony Pollard look nice in this build. Any thoughts? I kind of, I'm tempted to go Thomas and Traquan and just capture whatever's going to happen in new Orleans, because I think then I believe in there being something from new Orleans that's going to come out this year. And I, I, the Traquan ADP is still low enough here where I don't mind getting to him. I guess the question would be like, I know, Oh, Melvin Gordon's there. Take Melvin Gordon. Sorry. Yeah. Him over Traquan. This is yeah. the oldest team I've ever drafted, Spags. See, but and I know what people are saying too that uh, I love the Dusty guys. Uh, Drico saying I can't quit the Dusty guys. <laughs> I get it. I like opportunity. I like feeling confident about the opportunity that's going to be there. Melvin Gordon. So many of the reports out there about how Javante Williams looks great, but he's probably not going to get the role. I just think that like Melvin Gordon was getting a ton of touches last year. Like Philip Lindsay was a good running back and he got squeezed for Melvin Gordon getting the work. I just don't see how Melvin Gordon doesn't get the work. And if Denver's running hot, I don't see how they switch off of him to Javante Williams, at least in a way that kills all of Gordon's workload. Yeah. To me, it's more just kind of like macro thing of, I, I think of the season in terms of like inertia and um like where things are headed and i I, melvin gordon is a guy who's going to be looking over his shoulder the entire season the broncos are very high on javante williams they drafted him highly they want him to be their running back of the future so it's not a matter of if but when and so then you're like how long can melvin gordon hold on and so it's the same thing with mike davis granted mike davis doesn't have a javante williams type talent bearing down on him the other thing and again this gets very contextual in these rooms i know in this room and with our crew you can get melvin gordon sometimes 30 picks after adp because he's just an undesirable you see that with david johnson too so I have grabbed him a couple times at a very, very steep discount. I think we paid a little bit of a premium on him in this room. Um, but I want a Spags team and we're getting a Spags team. <laughs> I just, so like part of it for me, and I think this may be the one thing that I view it differently than than Pete does or some other people out there in the, in the chat do right now, is that I care a lot about just getting what I perceive to be value relative to how people are perceiving these guys coming in. And I know for myself, when I first started working, you know, as a fantasy analyst and doing this stuff all the time and, or just even getting sharp at it right before I started working with Osmo is like, I knew my tendency was like, I love the young running backs. I always think this guy's going to break out. He's going to be great. Or in the NBA, same thing where it's like, I love this young guy, but if the pathway to minutes isn't there, if the pathway to touches and snaps isn't there, I'd rather have the guy who has the pathway. That's very obvious to touches and snaps. And, and, you know, it's a minutes in the NBA, all that stuff. And I think that's where Melvin Gordon is for me, where he was there last year. Javante Williams grades out really well, according to the PFF stats and the things that I look at to see if he's going to be viable. But I just think with Melvin Gordon, they're paying him like $12 million this year or whatever the, the cap number is like, he's going to get the job this year. If he gets hurt or loses it, I think then that sucks. But, um, he just has to run good. And we've seen that happen before. Like remember the, like the Drew Brees, Philip Rivers thing where it's like, Oh, it's hard to get rid of Drew Brees because he's been so good, even though we have to play Philip Rivers. And that's a very dated reference for the chargers many, many years ago. But I think at some points, like, like you were talking about, maybe Melvin Gordon is the best Melvin Gordon. Cause he just doesn't want to lose his job to the rookie. Maybe he's fucking Leon. He's Leon Taylor from playmakers. <laughs> he's fighting it at every turn. Yeah. And I, I think the, maybe where we're thinking about this differently is, I think that kind of logic translates a lot more to, you know, individual 12 man leagues where you are trying to hit a bunch of singles. You're not necessarily trying to have to make the biggest swings, but to beat out a hundred thousand 
guys, we we're going to need massive home run picks and his kind of profile and what talent is now behind it. He just doesn't profile as a guy who can just be a smash weeks 15 through 17 when we're needing to win three individual tournaments. So that's, that's my only thing. And more, it's less about him specifically and more just about the price. I think it was just a little expensive, Um, but there are definitely paths to Melvin Gordon being very relevant this year. Mainly the offense is way better than we expect. And Teddy Bridgewater is, is solid and there's lots of goal line opportunities. Okay. We're on the clock here. Again, we have a one, two, six, two build. What's jumping out to you on the board? I think so for me, this is a guy that I generally like to take, although we do have Gus Edwards there. So this is part of the way I view it differently is I just want to get somebody who can give us 10 points one of these weeks. And I think for me, I feel pretty good about, Al, uh, actually, no, let's go Edwards first. Let's, let's go. I ahead. like Edwards here. Um, I also like Alex Madison because there is a world where Dalvin cook just gets hurt again. And Madison is a guy who is a, a ton of value. So to me, I'm swinging for the fences with this one, uh, Madison or Hines. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, don't want to go wide receiver. I think I would take one more shot no. at running back here and I would go. Hang I'm on. Go Madison. Hang on. Spags. I'm going to overrule you on this. Really? Okay. So I think we need to get, uh, I think we need to get Kirk so we have some stack with um okay. with Kyler because otherwise we're looking at only AJ Green or a potentially unstacked Kyler, which I just don't okay, think uh... we want. Also, I think Madison could could very well make it back to us at our next pick. Um, yeah. I just I had completely forgot because I was keeping my eye out for Rondell Moore, and then in this heavy room, he just completely evaporated. So I I think we want. I don't think we want an unstacked Kyler Murray. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I get it. And I think I don't mind taking an unstacked Kyler Murray just because I think you're not going to necessarily pinpoint the weeks that somebody goes off of him. Like, and I think that's sort of the thing you look for with the stacks is that this guy can't succeed without this guy being good. Like Fitzpatrick, I guess, theoretically could run for a handful of touchdowns and be useful, but he's going to have to throw to McLaurin. He's going to have to throw to Curtis Samuel. He's going to throw Logan Thomas or, you know, maybe Diami Brown or Adam Humphreys. But point being like, he can't get it done on his own where guys like Kyler and to a lesser extent, Allen can get it done on their own. So I think that's just one different way to view it, but, but I get the logic here and wanted to complete some form of stack. Yeah. And it's, I think it's different though, in the context of the, you know, the playoffs, the week 15 through 17 is again, we're drafting as if we're right. If we win this, it's going to be because Kyler is going absolutely bonkers weeks 15 through 17. They have a nice schedule. They play the Cowboys week 17. If he does that, uh, sure. Could he rush a ton? Uh, I definitely, but there's going to be multiple pass catchers who have big games in this scenario where we drafted him as aggressively as we did. And I think Christian Kirk's a good bet to have one big game over that stretch in this scenario. So I just think it helps us kind of make our lineup make sense in the context of how we drafted it. Okay. I, I accept that. I think that's a, a good logic as well. Now, definitely the logic, I think of somebody who has invested a lot of time into building these teams and trying to find the ways to, to cap encapsulate that upside. I think for me, it's just like, I, I want to close off positions and, you know, week to week. So if we were to think about it week to week, and I think this is something that I saw um, Eric Bime for arguing with somebody on, on social media recently, but like, the, the construction here, like which wide receivers are going to be the ones that pop off for us in a given week. Like we have three guys are going to make that final, you know, cut of our best scoring team. And then theoretically we'd have one more in the flex. So like at a certain point, do you think that uh, Kirk or, or even more, like, do you think they're going to beat out 
Brandon Cooks or McLaurin or I guess honestly we drafted some shitty guys here. So it's a possible possibility here that they do beat them out. But like, do you think that those that wide receiver three or four from Arizona is actually going to beat out Anderson, McLaurin, Samuel, Cooks, like to get into one of those wide receiver spots or the flex? Yeah, because I think the thing uh for a few things I would say is like one in general, like we, even though we're drafting this team, like we're right, we know that there's going to be busts. We know there's going to be injuries. We know there's going to be bye weeks. We know there's going to be weeks where these guys get eight targets, but they don't get in the end zone and they just don't have the spike week to get into our lineup. So I, I want to draft all my teams trying to get four spiked week wide receivers into my lineup, three in the wide receiver spots and one in the flex. And I think once the argument for kind of taking the foot off the gas of wide receivers is when you've grabbed more elite ones, like in Willis's build, I think your argument makes a lot more sense. It's like, how is Christian Kirk going to get in here with Ridley Hopkins, Godwin, DJ Moore, Michael Gallup in ours. I feel like because we didn't devote as much early capital, we really do need this like popcorn spike week from all of these random wide receivers to give us a chance. And that's kind of what the hyper fragile strategy is where you're just getting 10, 11 wide receivers and just hoping that the stars align perfectly, that those random spike weeks, even though they don't have them as often all align perfectly in the playoffs. And I think Kirk, you know, fits that bill. Okay. That's a reasonable way to look at it though. I will take offense. First of all, Drico has been very anti my older players, but he's saying this is like the chess videos in reverse, which I feel is unfair. I'm not coming in on, on like with no, with no ammunition at all. Like Pete is the chess videos. Like I just have a different approach and I, I see it a little bit differently than Pete, but I think for best ball, like there's a lot of validity just to taking different approaches for the sake of ownership as well in the tournaments. Yeah. And I, I like, I honestly like getting pushed outside of my comfort zone. I referenced an article that Leone had wrote a, a week or so ago on ETR about different constructions and the constructions are easy for people to wrap their head around zero RB. You don't draft running backs for a long time, but I think we sometimes forget like what the structures are trying to do and we get caught up in the specifics of it. And so I started drafting, you know, uh, these hyper fragile teams, but I'm taking my running backs instead of three right away, I'm taking them in rounds four through seven and still building in that same construction. And so I've been building really different teams than how I was at the beginning of the year. And, and then in a draft like this, you have different tastes in players than me. What I think is fun is how can we still draft the players you like, but make it make sense in the overall construction. And I do think they're, they're puzzles like that. And I don't think there's wrong answers at players if you have the right constructions around them. So here I would take Kenyon Drake. I think he makes, he makes sense. Also, I just want to point out, I had a 500% ROI on DK best ball last year. So I feel pretty good <laughs> with only the free entries. That you they you gave don't me. have to defend yourself. No, I'm going to defend myself Pete, from the onslaught. No, I, I just, you know, like I, I think I see a lot of validity in having a, a you know, sort of slavish dedication to the different strategies and all that. And yeah, we're obviously taking Ryan uh, for that second turn. Um, but yeah, like I think for me, it's just more about like for this draft, because like you were talking about here, a lot of people went very sharp, went very heavy wide receiver other than that first run of running backs. Um, like it's a different room than it would be otherwise. And to me, I think there has to be some willingness to pivot when you go like, oh fuck, like all the good wide receivers are gone. Like then you, I, I don't know. Like, I think there has to be a little more flexibility. And that to me is a concern when you have a lot of people who are, you know, trying to figure this out and they read a couple of Leone articles, or they read some of the zero RB ones or some Denny Carter stuff or whatever. And they're trying to do like those guys do. But I think there's a little more nuance to it sometimes. than just being like, Hey, here's a strategy I'm going in. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dip off of it at all. Yeah, and I think we, 
the thing that's interesting, and th again, this happens in in my drafts that I stream, because uh, all of the wide receiver sickos hop in here, is they are like an entirely different animal. And your mistakes, or I don't even want to say mistakes, but if you're not reading the room correctly, you can get punished. And like we did that $250 big dog draft the other night on ship chasing. And we're playing with high stakes players, guys that have a lot of experience. And I think they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, not realizing the wide receiver runs that were coming because they're getting good running back values at a lot of these picks. But what happens in these wide receiver heavy draft rooms is the running back becomes the best value at every single yeah. pick in the board relative to ADP. But you almost have to throw out ADP in a room that is basically throwing has collectively agreed to throw it out and just draft wide receivers. So to me, it's more like just a little more game theory of like having to play the room. And it's hard in a normal draft. You could be two rounds in and not actually know the direction that's going to go. And so my default is load up on wide receivers. And if I feel like the room is more normal, then I might start taking my detours earlier for running backs. But with these guys, I feel like I get punished if I let wide receivers slip too far, too far. And, and I think that makes sense too. And I think, you know, part of it is also for me, and I think this is also very obvious to me and how you're talking about it. We're like, I get the playoff weeks. Like I have some awareness in my head of the playoff weeks and where, what those schedules are going to be, but I just care about getting to that playoff week. And I want to make sure that my guys are going to be a, have a floor week to week. That's going to make us have a shot to advance. And then B, you know, cause I think that's a big part of it too, is just having a team that's well-constructed to sort of handle like, if like if Caffrey gets hurt, we're probably fucked regardless. I think that's the one hundred percent. Yeah. And I think Caden winks had some, uh, some study that they did at underdog as well, that it was, I think under 5% that still advanced last year, despite having McCaffrey. So it's very unlikely for that to be the case. Um, if you have McCaffrey gets hurt, then you it'd still get on. Um, but I think overall, like we have really good floor plays like Kyler and Christian McCaffrey are very strong floor plays. So I think we're going to have a baseline of, you know, let's say 50 to 60 fantasy points a week between those two guys we're in, and Waller as well. Like at the position where you're, you're talking 10 to 20 fantasy points there that I like just surrounding those guys, the GPP guys and hoping they bubble up. And I, you know, these might not be the GPP guys. Other people would uh, support the most, but like Melvin Gordon's going to give me five to 10 with a shot of getting 20. Um, like, I think we have a team here that's built to sort of handle that initial storm, but might not be built to win the playoffs. And I think that could be something that I'm fucking up with here. Yeah. Let's real quick talk about our end game here because we have three more picks coming up with two. We are good at quarterback. We are good at tight end by good. I mean, we're done taking those positions. Yes. I would argue that we are also done at running back and should probably finish with three wide receivers in this build. You could probably twist my arm into grabbing a fifth running back if we're able to get a couple more wide receivers here, but that's just kind of how I'm seeing things. Yeah, I like I like the idea of taking one more running back, but I do think that Michael Carter is the one rookie that I think has pulled a little bit ahead. I used to, I liked having Coleman still, but I think that Carter's pulled ahead. Um, go back to running back real actually, I guess wait, we gotta go fast. Um Gainwell, I think, is probably a little bit overvalued still. Yeah, I think a wide receiver is the move. Um I'm just putting a guy in, but yes, that's fair. That's fair. So the, the, the reason I defaulted to Hunter Renfro is because we've already started to make a bet on the Raiders with Waller and Drake, and mm -hmm. I don't mind continuing to go heavy there. Um, if you do want to be done with 
if you do want to do a running back, the only reason I don't hate Gainwell is again, that idea of we're so heavy on Washington and they play Philadelphia twice in the playoffs. I think Gainwell's a good move. He's a guy that I got a good amount of Miles Sanders in the first puppy. So I don't mind just taking a Gainwell here. The um, only it, other guy would be Fulgham though, to take as our wide receiver in Philly. No, I, I don't believe, I think Devonta Smith is the one who's going to kind of take the lion's share of the targets. Um, there's a small chance we'd still be able to get Fulgham with our last pick. Um, he it's iffy. sometimes he goes, sometimes he doesn't. Um, but I would say with our, with going with a fifth running back here, we definitely need to take, uh, our last pick as a wide receiver. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, people in the chat saying I look, and, and I appreciate and to be clear, like I have no issue being told that Pete finds another strategy to be more successful Were you guys in chat as well, because I think that is sort of the process of it all. I think the main thing is just kind of understanding just your overall approach and what you want to accomplish. And I'm more comfortable kind of trying to work the room a bit more because I do think overall, like going into the strategy, like zero RB is the approach I want. But I also think sometimes that if I'm going to view the equations a little bit differently, like I want to just take the guys that I feel comfortable with that I think are going to give me some floor with a shot at upside from week to week. And that's just the approach I take. So In, um, yeah. to me, it's kind of like what, blender talks uh, you know his whole you know play whoever you want in dfs and what he means by that is you can literally put one or two guys in as long as they're not injured as long as they're not hurt or whatever and you can build a logical lineup around your favorite players like you can build a good lineup and i view that similar with best ball like we're all going to have different players we like i have my age biases you you like the guys that have a lot of the guaranteed touches at the start of the season I don't think that's an issue whatsoever. It's then can we build, how do we build the smart lineup around that? And so that's what I think is always the kind of fun puzzle to crack is not the individual player selections, but the structure that makes the most sense for those selections. Yeah. And I'm going to Costa Rica, I guess tonight I'll be gone for a week. So I might read some more and come back and I guess give my thoughts. And cause I, I do read some of the articles as they come through. And I, you know, Leone's article I read the other day and I saw it linked again, in the newsletter from Pete this morning and I've um, read the zero RB manifestos and all of that. So I think maybe it's something where I just need to educate myself a little bit more to, to fully converse and give uh, to poke holes, I guess, as best I can. in some of the, the logic gaps that I find. Well, the other thing too, for me is like, I, I'm not the one doing the, you know, data deep dives. I consume a ton of that content and it informs a lot of what I do, but also what informs a lot is just, I've done so many drafts. And so I feel, I can feel the rooms. I know the pocket of ADPs. I know when I can kind of play chicken with stuff and it's just only from doing a bunch. And I think the more drafts you do too, you start to realize like, okay, this room is going to punish me if I pass on wide receiver here, or this room might let me get Alexander Madison, 25 picks after ADP. And then you feel a little bit more comfortable kind of like taking those gambles, trying to build a super team versus I'm just going to go get my guys kind of thing. Yeah, I've probably only built, I think, 20 overall between the puppy one and two and the best ball mania. So like, I think for me, honestly, this room is completely different than anyone I've played in. So I, that's why I'm probably taking a little bit less of a, a strategy that I think might make sense to people watching. Um, but I do think that, that is, that's a good point that just being prepared for the situations in best ball and and also, like we talked about, if you could somehow max out the puppy over the next few weeks, like that's, I think, one of the goals. If you can just give yourself the best possible shot, not that you need it, but I think that is something where you might, it's probably worthwhile for you, Pete, to be doing your 10,000 hours for all the people in the chat as well who are doing it obsessively because get, being able to play different rooms, I think, is as important as just knowing the individual strategies to, to bring it in with. 
you need to get registered for a bunch of slow drafts so you can be making picks when you're in uh, Costa Rica still. <laughs> I hate slow drafts so much. I do only fast ones. Wow. See, But, I, but then I it's always it. whenever my girlfriend has something important that she wants to, to talk. I was going to say Yammer on about, and I'll actually, I'll stick with Yammer on about. And it's like, oh, fuck, I learned to start this draft. Now I'm fucking trapped. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you, okay. We yeah, are that's... on the clock. <laughs> Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims. <laughs> Who, uh... Do you have a favorite wide receiver here? They took Josh Palmer, which was going to be my guy. Yeah. Um, volume. There's nobody here with volume. I think I might go Tyron Johnson just because we didn't take Keenan Allen and maybe Johnson has a, a meaningful uptick in opportunity. But yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Palmer's getting all of the buzz, but Tyron was getting some buzz earlier in camp. I think he's been missing a little bit just because of a, some kind of nagging injury but i think both him and palmer are good bets to make all right do we have the final roster i guess to show and yeah just uh i feel like we have to do that for professional broadcasting reasons to complete oh, we don't let me uh i have to uh i have to name this one <laughs> i love your OC i love your ocd coming out on a stream this is this is fun <laughs> hang on there it is the one where stags took hold <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I should be barred for one draft from taking anybody with over five years experience on this. <laughs> See how that goes. Uh, I, I think we built a solid team though. Like I, we're really reliant on Ron Rivera and Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera legacies. <laughs> yes. Um. All right. The, the, so we're running a little late on time. The people love it when we uh, review their teams, they say they want the sauce and then you say mean things about their team and then they get, you know, defensive and, and try to defend themselves. So you got to toe this line with what they want. Uh, but Spags, do you want to review a couple teams here before we go? Yeah. So I see that we got Justin Dupenglesser and the, or <laughs> Dupenglesser. Du I'm sorry, Justin. I tried my best. Justin Dupenglesser uh, in the chat. Uh, taking Alvin Kamara, I think is overvalued. So I don't love that part. I do like his wide receiver group though. Um, again, went a little bit younger than I would like, but Justin Jefferson feels good. Beckham, I think he did a good job there. So hang on, Spag. I'm just going to give us an easier view. I think here is okay. easier to look at the full oh, team. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Trevor Lawrence, I think is a good pick. He went with Miami guys though, which as I mentioned, is not my preferred overall approach. I also think Rashad Bateman's getting overvalued. I don't think Baltimore is going to just be slinging the ball around this year. Um, so that's one of my, my horses, but you went really young, Pete. So I feel like you must love this one. Um, so my my only uh quibble with this team is I go three tight ends in this build and not two tight or two quarterback or three quarterbacks. I think Trevor and Tua are perfectly adequate uh two QB pairing, whereas I think Tunyon and Hooper is just a little bit more shaky. And I think I'd rather have the third tight end there, but I know that you took Deontay Johnson and Juju earlier. So you wanted to get that extra double stack. But I think one thing is you break ties in favor of the better structure and it's fine. Like Deontay Johnson and Juju can both have good years without Ben, you know, going off or if there's another quarterback or whatever. So I wouldn't force big Ben in this build. I also, yeah, I, I mean, it's tough because like, I think you need to get Claypool in there. Like I think Claypool is a very important part and there's going to be weeks where Ben can have the week and then it's just Claypool has three touchdowns, obviously assuming he's healthy and getting the same amount of run and all that. But um, that's the one thing to me, like if you're going to complete a stack, you got to complete all the, you know, build the full mousetrap of the stack is how I feel about it.
I'll just do this real quick because bi week Twitter, YouTube, Twitter, uh, <laughs> they always get very up in arms. I have zero issue whatsoever with taking the two tight ends. My reason for taking the two tight ends uh, or saying the third had nothing to do with the bye week. Uh, it was literally just more structural. I mean, you're talking about probably losing somewhere between what seven to 10 points in week 13 at the lowest scoring position in fantasy. Uh, Yes. Are there scenarios where you, you know, miss out on advancing by seven points? Sure. But it's not that likely. And if you're prioritizing other stacks or you like other players, I'm just not going out of my way to worry about two tight ends on the same bye week. Also, was like everybody in this draft from the chat? <laughs> yes. That's how this works, Spags. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I this again, my first time drafting one live on a show. I've only done it while, while half-assedly paying attention on my phone. All right. We'll do a couple more. I think I saw uh, Dagus Max, Max wanted it here. Uh, ooh, a 3393 build. This is unique. Uh, Spags, tell us what you think here. So let's see. I. So Brady basically stacked with only Antonio Brown. I don't really love that. Gronk I do too, think, sorry. Oh yeah, and Gronk too. Okay, but Gronk too dealing with OJ Howard coming back, and I think he might be the better tight end for actually getting volume or you know getting at least the the deep balls downfield. I don't like this team very much, honestly. Like I think like wide receiver one is Cooper Cup. That's pretty tough. The running backs. I do think Antonio Gibson is being uh, appropriately valued, and I think that's a very solid pick. I think there's a, a fractional chance here that he is Christian McCaffrey. Darrell Henderson, I also like a lot, as I've mentioned on some other shows. I think the Rams are an offense that people just don't appreciate enough. The defense is going to be good, but Darrell Henderson, if that defense is good, Henderson is going to be squeezing that air out of the ball a lot, but. This, this feels to me like a half measures team. Aaron Jones, I think, is really overvalued just because of Rodgers being officially back in. I don't love a lot here. I guess Brian Edwards is the one that um, I, he continues to get the hype from John Gruden, I guess, and maybe he's going to be Randy Moss, but there's a lot of dudes who have proven absolutely nothing. Yeah, my only quibble is construction-wise. If you're going to go the hyper-fragile, I think you need more wide receiver firepower. I think you definitely want 10, maybe even 11 wide receivers, and I think it's really easy to peel off Derek Carr here and turn him into a 10th wide receiver. I don't think you need three quarterbacks when you have Brady and Baker. I just don't know what Derek Carr is going to be offering you over those guys on most weeks, and I think you're actually a little naked at wide receiver considering your kind of lack of firepower up top. So give me one more wide receiver. I enjoyed Dane's chat here. Uh, I hear you spags, but I will not acknowledge your criticism. So that's, that's tough, but fair. Like you got to believe in your guys. And I, I do think, you know, good running back group. That is the one thing I would say, just the wide receivers here. I, man, I think that's like, he took the the lesser receiver out of every group. <laughs> like Devo Samuel, I'd rather have Ayuk. Uh, well, Chenault, I'd rather have Marvin Jones, Antonio Brown, I'd rather have Mike Evans or Godwin Brown. I don't, I just don't want but, anybody there, but this is, that's just a, a structural, uh, kind of thing, right? Because like he doesn't have access to any of those guys yes. because he took these running backs early. Um, I, I get it. I just, I hate it. It's, <laughs> it's the main thing. Yeah. I, I have no problem with the selections themselves. I just think you need more firepower at wide receiver or more volume. If you're going to go the hyper fragile route. Um, uh, one, one more here, one more Roto you, Bowser. I do like that name. Roto Browser will be the last one we do. Roto here. Bowser, to be clear. He is the Bowser of Roto. So he is the <laughs> final boss. I hope that's what the name is, honestly, because that's a fantastic name, if so. Um, okay. Uh, give us your uh, final okay. review on this one, and then I'll chime in. I wish there were a way for him to have gotten AJ Brown over Julio, but I do like the concept here of Tennessee is going to score weeks. As I mentioned before, their defense is not good. Um, so having Tannehill, having Derrick Henry, having Julio 
Um, having Ferkser, uh, Ferkser, I worry that they're going to have somebody at tight end who's who's the guy who gets mentioned a lot who has kind of racy. Is that his name? Oh, um, Racy McMath. It sounds yeah, like Racy McMath. Name. Yes, sounds like a sexy '80s mo like model in a Weird Science or some movie there. Uh, but he's a guy that could maybe somehow hurt Ferkser. But I, again, I like the Tennessee offense. I like taking teams that are going to sort of will themselves in the shootouts and capturing all the outcomes for them. So those picks are good. Um, it seems like though taking Najee Harris is not the best move because you're really hurting that wide receiver group. But I think he did the best he could here. Like, I think he got some guys that have potential upside that has, you know, the room like Watkins, I think can take enough away from Brown and also hurt Rashad Bateman. Aguilar, I think can be a red zone monster if they give him the same looks that he got in, uh, for the Raiders last year. Uh, Rager, you know, not, not my dude. I'd rather have Devonta, but. Like he, he did the best he could. I just wish he didn't take Najee Harris early because you have Derrick Henry there. Like, I just think there are some other ways to go. That, that is the pick that I think is the bad pick. Not because I don't like Najee or whatever, just structurally here. You invested too much at the, at uh, the running back position. Um, you can go hyper fragile with this. If you do Henry Harris Dobbins, you get Dobbins at a nice discount in this room. Just stop taking running backs. You can maybe add one super late like we did, but you can't take ETN and Harris where you did after you took those three running backs. You can't have Nelson Aguilar as your fourth wide receiver. Um, if I'm going to be just a little harsh, this team is dead with Nelson Aguilar as your fourth wide receiver. If you turn Najee Harris into the Keenan Allen, the CeeDee Lamb, whoever was there at that 2-3 turn, then all of a sudden this team looks a lot better, but you just use too much capital on running backs and you're not going to have enough wide receiver firepower to advance. Yeah. And I also just don't love Dobbins. Like I really think you could have not taken Dobbins and not taken Najee Harris or, or if you're taking those guys, like don't do it with Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry is going to be that guy every single week. Um, and Dobbins to me, like you, you, just, you know, there's Gus Edwards there. So that's me is always the concern with these guys where you're paying kind of a premium and, and hoping he seizes the role from a guy who's had that role for what, like three straight years now. So um, yeah, you know, like it's, it's an approach, but Hey, uh, different approaches can sometimes have value. And I think that's, that's what we've learned today. The value of accepting others. That is, this was really an exercise in all of us being very polite, recognizing that we're playing a game with a lot of randomness and we're trying to welcome more people into our multi-level best ball pyramid scheme. Okay. And we don't do that by being mean to people. So Spags, we are very excited to have you in the best ball streets. And I can't wait to see uh, what some of your lineups look like here uh, after a few more weeks. Yeah, no, I am. I'm glad to be course corrected as well. And look, we are, we're here about the debate always on splash play. So make sure you're following us. Uh, actually follow Pete's YouTube channel, follow the splash play YouTube channel as well. I think we're going to keep both those running. We'll figure out if we have to, I don't know, be smarter about strategy. We'll probably just keep doing the show. Follow at splash play pod as well. Follow at Peter Overzet and at Chris Spags on everywhere you can because we appreciate that a bunch and again we're following back everybody on the splash play pod handle as well so that is one extra bonus and then next week i don't know i honestly i wouldn't mind doing a show from costa rica but i don't know my travel schedule offhand so we will figure that out but pete any final plugs for you here of course if people want to do the best ball draft like we just did they should be going over to underdog and using that promo code pete yeah, we'll we'll touch base at schedule. I, I have a flight next Friday, but it's not until the evening. So I think I would be able to do our normal slot. But if um I'm I'm good for whatever you want to take a Costa Rica break, uh, we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, no other plugs. I think I'm done with shows for the weekend. I'll be back on uh Monday for our usual best ball draft, best ball breakfast at 10 a.m. Uh 
I think that's it, Spags. Yeah, and I'm gonna have something to announce publicly soon for something. So I will be I will be doing more content than just hanging out with Pete once a week. So stay tuned for my stuff on that. But we appreciate all you guys for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Big viewership today for the best ball world. So thanks guys for watching and make sure to come back and check out all the shows. We appreciate all you being here. Enjoy the rest of your weeks. See ya. Thank <music> you.